We have been in a series, and the series is about to wrap up. Uh, we're actually, I'm concluding the series today. Next week, I'm kind of doing the invitation of the series. What, what's the next step? But we're at the conclusion of the series that introduces and explains the Disciple Center. And we did this in part to remind us and reinforce us of who we are and to provide an explanation for those who want to understand us. But as you know, there are several congregations that are trying to pattern themselves after our structure. And um, it gives them an opportunity to follow that as well. <coughs> I've been sick this week and it's settled in my lungs. So I won't sneeze so much as maybe cough a little. We're concluding this series uh, focused on the presentation of the good news the gospel to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. And I talked about the mystery of the gospel, uh, that the Gentiles are included in the promises of God, uh, in that the gospel is larger than just the idea of individual salvation by believing in Jesus. Though it certainly includes that. Uh, to limit it to that is really to miss the, the major point of the gospel, and while that works in our radically individualized American culture, it is not really the essence of the message of God. So we are at the end of our statement about the uh, Disciple Center, and I'm not going to read that entire statement again, but let me uh, uh, read the part that is most connected with what we're talking about now. We also seek to provide witness to the message of God through our lives and activities by intentional living and explaining the good news found in Jesus to the Jew first and also to all people. So today I want to talk about uh, the task of providing ourselves uh, as witnesses to the message of God. That term witness is an interesting term. I, I don't hear it as much anymore as I did when I was first uh, a believer. Everything was about witnessing. Uh, are you witnessing? Who did you witness to? And if you think about it, the word witness in that context is a verb. Uh, and the Bible doesn't actually use the word witness that way. Uh, it talks about, uh, you will be my witnesses. Not you will witness you will be my witnesses. You, will, uh, you are my witnesses, God says in Isaiah to Israel. Jesus said to his disciples, you will be witnesses of me. Uh, the idea of being a witness is an interesting notion. The idea of being a witness is someone who uh, knows something and can give testimony uh, to it. I get asked often at the university to give a reference for someone. And they say, uh, I'm, I'm expecting to get a lot fewer requests for that. Uh, people always want to have the dean's reference when they're going to grad school. And since I'm no longer the dean, you know, I'm just a lowly professor. They made out, they made out what that. And so uh, what happens is they say, could you give me a reference? Who are you? <laughs> oh, I, I was in your class 13 years ago. I got a C-. minus. And that's it. I, I really don't know them. How, how much of a witness of them to the grad school can I really be? On the other hand, there are some students who I have known for four years and interacted with them regularly. They talk to me about what they've done. And, uh, and if they said, could you give me a reference? I could give a testimony of who they are with 
with pretty good uh, accuracy, understanding, and, 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 uh, and I think uh, authority for that. And that's really what being a witness is. Being a witness is somebody who is going to be called upon to give testimony to what they know. What they know experientially, what they know in fact about the person that they are giving testimony to. Therefore, a lot of people who call themselves witnesses are in fact not witnesses. They don't know Jesus very well at all. The reason I know that is when they tell me about him, it's not the Jesus of the scriptures and not the Jesus of historic Christianity and not the Jesus of any framework I can get to, but some kind of presumption that they have made made about him. And that's not being a witness. Well, it is being a witness, but you're a lousy witness, right? And uh, I always want to say to the people they're testifying to, you will please disregard their testimony because you're being led falsely in what they say. So what I want you to do is listen today with the idea of you are uh, in some sense a witness and what does that mean in terms of being prepared to give appropriate and accurate testimony of the Lord. We're going to begin with, um, with the, uh, the concept of the Great Commission. But as I've been saying, the gospel is more than a plan of individual salvation, but the whole plan of God to restore the creation. And we have been called to come to God through His Son and live lives of faith and love and hope as we anticipate the kingdom and restoration. So we begin with Matthew 28. Uh, verse 16 to 20, you're familiar with that passage. Almost all of us have it memorized and can quote it at least beginning in verse 19. It says in verse 16, The eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee to a mountain which Jesus had designated. When they saw him, they worshipped, but some were doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, this uh, great commission that we call it was given to the eleven. Remember, Judas is no longer with them. They will replace Judas, but they will replace Judas with someone who was with them from the time of the baptism of John to the resurrection. Now, why don't they just pick somebody and tell him the story and have him be a witness? Because he's not a witness. He's a carrier on of a tradition. Anybody who wasn't with them from the beginning till the resurrection is not a witness They are simply a person who's passing on the story of the witnesses. Still a valid thing to do, but not the same. And so they will pick Matthias uh, through the lot to be the numbered with the twelve as the twelve eyewitnesses of the Lord. Now, in in Mark's gospel, boy, I'm having a little trouble breathing. In, In Mark's gospel, chapter 16... At verse 15, we have uh, in a passage that's somewhat disputed. In other words, there are several endings to Mark. And the one that is here is the longest of the 
ones that have been found. They seem to be conglomerates of other texts, so the, the general information is correct, but, but may not have actually been written by Mark. But this statement is consistent with other statements throughout the Gospels, where, where Jesus says to them, Go into the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Uh, the idea is, Jesus said, and we know in Matthew 24, uh, that this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world, and then the end will come. And so, so uh, even if there's some doubt about the authenticity of this particular verse, uh, it, is, it is, in a sense, the Great Commission. If we move to Luke, chapter 24... <clears throat> Verse 44, this is uh, after the resurrection, before the ascension. It says, Now Jesus said to them, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all which is written about me in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms must be fulfilled. And he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Messiah would suffer and rise again from the dead uh, the third day. Now, all of that's coming from what we call the Old Testament. And that repentance and forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father upon you, and you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. So the disciples are being told, you're witnesses of all that's happened in me fulfilling these scriptures. Then we move to the uh, second book of Luke, which is Acts. Acts chapter 1, verses 4 to 8. Scripture says he gathered them together and he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for, for what the Father had promised, which he said, you have heard of me. For John baptized with water and you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they were asking him continually, saying, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? And he said, it's not for you to know the times or the epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria, even to the remotest parts of the earth, which includes California, right? From Jerusalem, we're the remotest part of the earth. And so here again, we get this same notion that the Spirit of God in working through the apostles, who were eyewitnesses from the entire time, will begin a message uh, of their testimony of who he was and what he did that will spread throughout the whole earth. Now you say, hey, that's good. You just covered Matthew, Mark, and Luke twice. What about John? Well, if you read the Gospel of John, you don't get John explaining this commission, if you will, uh, the way the other ones do. However, if you look at 1 John, 1 John chapter 1, you will see that John gets exactly what this is about and puts it in his own writings. John 1, 1 John 1, beginning at 
verse 1. What was from the beginning, which we have heard, with what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life, and the life was manifested, and we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifest to us. He's talking about the word that became flesh. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. These things we write, so that our joy may be made complete. Now, John is saying, we were eyewitnesses. Peter's going to say the same thing all through the Scriptures. These eyewitnesses say, we are giving testimony to what the Lord did. So if you are going to pass on the witness of the disciples to someone else, you have to know what they wrote. You can't just make this up and you can't just have somebody write four verses on a card and give you a little Roman road and then think that you're, you're passing on their tradition. They gave on a lot of information. In fact, John says, if we told you everything, the books couldn't be contained. But these are written... So that you will know that you may have life. And so he didn't give, you know, if he just wanted to write a tract, he could have write it, wrote a tract. But he wrote, an, you know, four books, five books that we have in the, in the New Testament. So the disciples were actual eyewitnesses to the incarnation and to the teaching and miracles of Jesus. And they were witnesses of the resurrection. And their testimony is found in what we call the New Testament, the Gospels and the Epistles. They wrote the message and passed it along orally to their disciples. At dead, they wrote it down as well uh, and passed it on from generation to generation. And it has come down to us in the form of the scriptures. Now, in the midst of that process, God has called other people to carry the message of the disciples and to include their own experience with the Lord. I want you to turn with me to Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13 uh, begins what, what we call Paul's missionary journey. Now, you know Paul's calling. I don't have to give you that story. That was pretty drastic. Uh, Jesus confronted him and said, you're persecuting me, Saul. What's that all about? You're a chosen vessel to me, and you are going to bring my message to, uh, to the Gentiles. And Paul says, in his own testimony, I didn't immediately go up to the apostles. In other words, I didn't go to those who were the eyewitnesses of Jesus and say, uh, so tell me the story. They tell the story, and then he gives a secondhand story. He said, I received the revelation of Jesus independently. He talks about this over a three-year period. Uh, independently, so that he says, even in the Corinthian letter, I want you to know that which I received from the Lord, that the night which he was betrayed, he took bread, right? Wait a minute, those are, those are in the Gospels. Paul is an independent witness given directly by the resurrected Jesus by vision and revelation over a period of time. 
So he can testify as one who saw the Lord. He says, he was seen by the twelve, then he was seen by five hundred brethren. Last of all, he was seen of me. So in terms of those kind of witnesses, Paul's the last of that. But the passing on of the testimony of the eyewitnesses added to what we're supposed to do is what being a witness is all about. So let me talk about that passing on. Second Timothy chapter 2, written obviously by Paul. Paul is writing to Timothy. He writes to Titus as well. These are men he has discipled. He hasn't given them a quick weekend uh, how, to, how to bring someone to Jesus. Uh, you know, lead your friends to the Messiah in six easy steps. He is training them fully in all that he's been revealed by God. He's now introduced them to the other disciples. They've gone up in Acts 15. They, they, are, they have the whole counsel of God in their understanding. And he says to them, Now therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses. Here we go again. Witnesses, they were there for the teaching, they're there for the understanding, they're there for the living, they're there for the doing. Uh, you entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And so the idea is that this testimony of the eyewitnesses is supposed to be fully understood, fully encompassed and taken. Did I do the Acts 13 or did I just bypass that? My brain is gone. I bypass it? Okay. This is them praying. And God says, uh, Separate unto me Barnabas and Saul to the work that I've called them. Right? He didn't say, Give me some newbies to go out. God calls the mature, practicing, called witness to go out and do that missionary journey. He doesn't call some person who doesn't know anything. I always hear these guys, I'm being called as a missionary. Good for you. Say, Paul himself was called directly by Jesus and took three years to prepare himself to know everything about that. And these people want to leave in a month. Okay? They, they don't understand the biblical importance of knowledge of who you're talking about. I mean, I would, it, would, it would drive me crazy if somebody said, you know... I, I audited one of your and Dr. Lewis's classes and I've, I'm now going to another Christian university and I'm going to teach this. And we'd say, don't mention our name. Because you're not going to teach what You don't know anything. You've heard it. Some of it you may have got. Some of you may not have got. You, you're going to actually do damage to our reputation. But we don't think about the reputation of God and the reputation of Jesus when we when we do this kind of shortcut witnessing, if we really are going to take this seriously, we have to take seriously that we need to know Him. And we need to know Him through the Scriptures. And we need to know Him through our obedience. So, that was the Acts 13 passage. Sorry about that. In Timothy, he tells... His, his disciples, uh, what, I, what you've heard from me, all of that you've experienced with me before you and other witnesses, now you're going to entrust that to other people. 
So, the reality is that this is a very serious task. In both cases, the person sent is fully trained into the full discipleship system, not a shortcut sales formula. Much of which passes today for evangelism is without the full content of discipleship and creates inept and harmful disciples. No faithful witness to the, uh, not a faithful witness to the glory and power of God. I think we need to change that. I think we need to work very hard at that. I'm convinced because I was, I was trained in witnessing when I became a believer. I was not trained in discipleship. And I was out there leading them like crazy and then I crashed and did damage to the reputation of the Lord. And when I came back, I learned discipleship and then I realized that if a person is fully discipled, they will share that faith. But if a person only knows to share their faith and it's minimal, they will end up doing damage in the process of discipleship. Uh, it's, not, it's not either or. It's both and, and the only way to do both and is to be fully discipled. So, I want to look at two passages, uh, uh, both of them related to now not those called, not the apostles, not even the ones trained by the apostles, but the churches themselves and their part to play in giving testimony and witness to God. Because we're told that sharing our faith is what we're to do. I'm going to suggest there's a different path that God has called the congregations to do uh, rather than just give pay lip service to evangelism. The first passage is in 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 1. I've been trying to get to this passage for three weeks uh, so that I could get to a certain part of it and it has been difficult to get there. But I'm there today. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. First 10 verses. Paul says, Paul and uh, Silas, or Silvanus and Timothy. So here's Paul and his primary disciples. To the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers, constantly bearing in mind Look at verse 3 real carefully. Constantly bearing in mind your work of faith, your labor of love, and your steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the presence of our God and Father. Knowing, brethren, His choice of you. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction, just as you know what kind of men we demonstrated to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia, for the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith towards God has gone forth, so that we have no need to say anything, for they themselves report about us uh, what kind of reputation we had with you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, that is Jesus, who rescues us from the wrath to come. 
Now this is fascinating. The testimony of the Gentiles of this city was not the result of a missionary report or the Thessalonian church sending out people uh, to, to preach the gospel or a marketing evangelism, you know, uh, reach Thessalonia uh, or that any of that kind of thing. It was the result of a general reputation of these believers that spread because of their work of faith, labor of love and steadfastness of hope as they imitated the apostles who said, we didn't come to you with words, we came with a lifestyle of obedience to Christ that you caught, imitated, and your reputation shot so we don't even have to tell people. In other words, instead of you talking about Jesus, being a witness is people talking about Jesus in you. That's harder. Because that's not just memorizing a phrase and saying it. That's living a life where people go, there's something different here. There is something about them that is odd, that is unusual, that is alluring. And he gives three things. He says, it's your work of faith, your labor of love, and your steadfastness of hope. Interesting. Faith, hope, and love. A very common Pauline theme. Now, I've talked about that before. I want to talk about it in this context. But let me remind you, hope is not, I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope. Hope is a promise given, which is an expectation. Faith trusts that that expectation will come to pass because the one who promised it is faithful. And love is the work that operates as a result of that promise And that trust. And so here Paul expands that a little bit. To talk about their work of faith. Now what is the work of faith? Wait a minute. It's either work or faith. It's not a work of faith. It's it's faith or works. And you hear that all the time, right? Uh, we, We sometimes get that wrong. For the most part when Paul makes those arguments. He's talking about grace versus works. Not faith versus works. If it's of grace, then it's not of works. If it's of works, it's not of grace. Just like he makes a distinction between the flesh and the spirit, not the law and the spirit in that sense. Because the problem with the law is the flesh, right? So we don't do that carefully. Here what he's talking about is in Deuteronomy chapter 18. I'll let you read that on your own. But Deuteronomy 18, Moses said, God is going to raise up a prophet like me. And when he speaks... He will tell you what you need to know and you need to obey Him. And that has been understood in Judaism and in Christianity as a messianic prophecy. That the one who will be sent is the Messiah. And then in John chapter 6, when the people said, what do we do to do the work of God? Jesus said, this is the work of God that you Believe on the one whom he has sent. In other words, referring to himself as that prophet of Deuteronomy 18. So, what is it that they did? They believed 
that Jesus was sent from God based on the eyewitness testimony of the apostles, and that because He was sent from God, He was both Messiah and Lord. As a result of that, they began the labor of love. Now, I looked up that word in the Greek for labor. It's an odd word. It, it actually means, uh, it doesn't mean a work like, oh, let's, hi-ho, hi-ho, it's off to work. This is toiling, toiling. I don't like the word toiling. If somebody says, well, what, how much work is it? And I say, oh, you know, it's pretty easy work. We'll get it done. If they said, we're going to be toiling a while, you go, you know, I think I have an appointment somewhere else, right? There, you want to avoid that. Toiling is, toiling is really being deep in the work. So this is toiling in love. How do you toil in love? Because we think romantically about love, you know? And nobody toils when they're in love because their brain's gone out the window and they're just doing stuff, you know? It's not talking about that. It's talking about this agapeo love, this self-sacrificing love for another. And as you know, the three major commandments upon which all the other commandments are, are about this love. You shall love the Lord your God with all your mind, with all your life, and with all your strength. Think about that. You shall give to God all of your mind. You shall give to God all of your life. You shall give God all of your energy. You mean I give him all of me? Yeah, that's, that's how you love God. You make him first in your life. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Different standard, right? This one was you give yourself wholly, completely to God. That's the holiness. And the first five commandments kind of fit into there, right? And then the second one, you love your neighbor as yourself. That's the second set of of five commandments. And this one is to love your neighbor as yourself. Because the assumption is you, you, you love yourself. And so it's easy to say what you want to be done to others, uh, what you want done to you, do to others, right? It's a treat them in this kind of uh, well-being and, and goodness. Be, be, uh, be equal with others in, in your caring and giving. And then Jesus comes along and says, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you. Different standard. Give yourself wholly to God, which is your reasonable service of worship, right? Give yourself to your neighbor as much as you give yourself to yourself. And give yourself to your fellow believers as Christ has For you, He died for us. Our calling to one another in love, our labor of love to one another, is is not measured to the end until we die for one another. That gives us a lot of room. (coughs) So the idea here is, he says... You have done the work of faith. You have received Him who the witnesses have testified to and you have obeyed Him. How do you obey Him? You obey Him by toiling in love of God, which is holiness, love of fellow man, which is uh, goodness, 
and love of the brethren, which is unity. And you are to strive to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of love. All of that is built into what they were doing. And they were doing it so well that people were talking about, boy, have you seen those Thessalonians? They went from pagan idols to really crazy stuff to doing this incredible. They are, they are following this guy named Jesus who they claim rose from the dead and is in heaven now and is coming back. And they are, they are loving God and they are loving the stranger and, and their fellow man. And they are united in their love for one another. And that word was spreading all over the place. It was the reputation of God's people and the testimony of the eyewitnesses of God put together that is the witness to God. It's not just repeating their words. Well, let me tell you the message of John. Let me tell you the message of of Matthew. Let me tell you the message. And I know the message real well. I'm intellectually capable. That doesn't mean anything. This is why most of us are more impressed about somebody, something somebody tells us about someone, if it's from personal knowledge. And not just repeating what we've heard that someone else said about them. And then he says, there's a steadfastness of hope. They stay fixed without wavering on that hope until the end. Their promise is the return of the Lord and the establishment of the kingdom. They are living as if that kingdom is really coming. And they are getting ready for that kingdom. That witness, the words of the apostles and the actions of the church is what gives testimony to the Lord. Or as Jesus said, and uh, is quoted often, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to me. Well, how do you lift him up? He's up in heaven. And we don't have his body on a cross. Where is this body of Jesus that can act in the world that the world can see? Oh, that's right. We're the body of Christ. So it's in our lives that we give testimony to the presence of God, not in our words. And that's really not where we have gone in recent years. One last verse. In 2 Corinthians, Paul pulls these things together. In chapter 2 of 2 Corinthians. He has written his first letter to the Corinthians. And really let them have it. He let them have it because their behavior was so corrupt. They were not following the abstaining from blood. They were not abstaining from fornication. They were not abstaining from idols. They were not... Uh, eating appropriate. They were not doing the doing of the Lordship that Acts 15 had talked about. And he says, shall I come to you with a rod? Do I need to punish you? You know? They, I, I, the, the Corinthians are the American church. We believe in God. We've got all the manifestations, all the holy, holy, holy stuff. But we don't have to live righteous lives. We don't have to live holy lives. We don't have to be in unity. They were not in unity. I'm a Paul. I'm of Apollos. They were, they were just a mess. Now, it's not that they weren't saved. But they were not 
giving testimony and witness to the Lord. And so Paul let him have it. In fact, in one case, you know this, 1 Corinthians 5, he said, you get that guy out of the church. He's destroying your reputation. He's doing stuff that even the Gentiles don't do. And you're rejoicing like, oh, it's all about grace. So remove him. I've already kicked him out. Deliver him over to Satan. Now, in this letter, the guy has repented. And he tells them to receive him back. So he says in verse 6 of chapter 2, Sufficient for such a one is the punishment which was inflicted by the majority. So on the contrary, you should rather forgive and comfort him. Otherwise, such a one might be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. Therefore, I urge you to reaffirm your love for him. Because even when excommunication happens, or separation in marriage happens, our goal is always that they will return and we re-embrace them. Because that's what God does to us. In our, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now when we get to verse uh, 14, he says this, But thanks be to God, who always leads us to triumph in Christ, and manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of Him in every place. Now, if you know anything about perfume, and you know anything about flowers, okay, they don't, it's not verbal. Okay, but it's unmistakable. Okay, you go near flowers and they're putting off an aroma, or somebody's wearing perfume, uh, or cologne, and you, you go, hmm, right? You're aware of it. And he says, God is manifesting... Through us, the sweet aroma of the knowledge of Him in every place. We are a fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing to the one an aroma of death to death and to the other an aroma of life to life. Basically, Paul says, we stink. We stink by our lives and that either is a Fragrance of aroma of resurrection and hope to those who are being saved and to others who say, why are you giving this up? It's like you're, you're dying to the world. We are not like many peddling the word of God. Even in Paul's time, there were people who were just using the scriptures and using the gospel for the purpose of maintaining their own jobs in ministry. But we are doing this sincerely as from God we speak in Christ in God's presence in His sight. Now look at the next verse. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need some letters of commendation to you or from you? You are our letters, written in our hearts, known and read by all men, being manifested that you are a letter of Christ, cared for by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on the tablets of stone, but on the tablets of human hearts. And such confidence we have through Christ towards God. Now what's he saying? Paul says, we don't need you to write us a letter and say, Paul was a good preacher. 
He gave us the word of God. We liked it. We recommend it to you. What he's saying is, your lives will tell whether our message is true or not. You will either manifest the truth of what we said, or it's just words. So we don't need more preachers and witnesses and apologists and all of that. Lord knows we've got them everywhere. And every new year at the university, I talk to scores of young people who are completely unprepared for life, but are going to be a missionary for Jesus. I think that's their way of avoiding work. What we need are churches of the living God who love the Lord, who love their fellow man, and who love one another so that the smell and the experience and the manifestation of the truth of what we say and what the apostles have taught is manifest in our lives so people can say, there is God among them. We become witnesses to the reality of what the Apostle said when our lives begin to conform to that message. The testimony is not found in words, but in deeds. And then Peter says, and we've read this passage before in 1 Peter 3, that we are to sanctify the Lord and be ready always to give an answer to those who ask a reason for the hope that we have. See, that love, hope, and faith is always there. If we would be more about being doers of the word, we will have more people asking us why we are doers of the word. And in doing so, we will be able to give testimony based on our experience that confirms the words of the apostles. Otherwise, we're just passing on a rumor. The message of God is too important to be passed on like a rumor. So with that, I come to the end of this series except for the, so what do we do from here, which we'll talk about next week. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.